What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show where we talk all culturally relevant soccer topics, lifestyle, politics, music, fashion, everything happening off the pitch, none of the stuff happening on it. My name's Alan, and I'm here joined by Louie and Brendan, my lovely co-hosts. This week, we discussed hooliganism, what it is, what its importance is to soccer, soccer culture, on and off the pitch, why it rose to be such a popular f- subculture in soccer and then we try to tie it back to american culture if we ever think it's going to be a prevalent subculture here and what the impact of that would be in america so as always leave us that five-star review if you're listening to us on your podcast app if you're watching us on youtube like the video subscribe to the channel so you can get our content every week we also ask that you follow our instagram at culturef.c to get all of the behind the scenes stuff that you won't actually hear or see here on the podcast. If you know someone that loves soccer, mom, dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, share them this podcast. We want to spread the word as much as possible. So pass the podcast along. We're sure they're going to love it. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, make sure to drop us an email or leave a comment in the comment section. The three of us also have a soccer-inspired fashion line. So follow us on Instagram at TrebleWear. Go to the website, www.trebleware.com. We just dropped a new release. Check that out. Buy some stuff. Help us out. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. As always, starting off with our three quick topics. World Cup is... From today, 56 days away. So 56? Coming up. Yeah. That's it? Wow. Very soon. Yeah, that's it's exciting. I was, talking, I was talking to a friend the other day, and we were, I was talking about how anytime someone mentions the World Cup, I get goosebumps, and I just start thinking about the World Cup, and within seconds, like, my whole arm just goosebumps. <laughs> I get so excited about the World Cup. It is literally my favorite thing on this planet. And especially, it'll be, like, during the summertime, and for us on the East Coast, we got to wake up nice and early, yeah. so it's, like, no excuse to, like, sleep in during summer yeah. so soon. But even then, some days when the games are kind of boring, it's just like, well, I might as well just nod off for a little more. <laughs> Do you guys ever fall asleep during games? Absolutely no. not. Oh. Not well. during the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I watch <laughs> every single game. Yeah, well, I used to. I have. I mean, I don't know what it'll be like this year, but <laughs> in past years, in the morning games, I would fall asleep for well, sure. Contrary to you, B, and kind of in line with what Louis was feeling, a lot of people in the U.S. also really digging the World Cup because behind Russia, the U.S. has bought the most World Cup tickets, which I found pretty fascinating because really? the USA is not in the World Cup, That's as so you interesting. probably have heard by now. Which is also interesting, speaking of our political climate, why... The United, like we were going over to Russia yeah. for the World Cup when it's probably not like the, I mean I get it but it's not like the greatest time to go over <laughs> to travel to the I personally never think it's a good time to go to Russia I don't, yeah I, me neither. I would love to but not anymore for reasons <laughs> that will probably that will actually be getting into in today's podcast I don't think I'd ever really want to go to Russia but right. yeah I thought it was, so I funny. thought it was pretty fascinating like you said I think the the it, it makes for a very interesting situation. Our current political climate with everything going on. Some United States fan is going to get fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. And especially the fact that the U.S. isn't even in the world. Right. So, so I mean, of support. course, you know, that's just it being somewhat ignorant and saying that all people who live in America support the United States. But at the same time, it's like 
it's more it's just government wise I yeah really like that's I what i'm saying like, like the people of russia might not they don't think they necessarily hate us it's more if i go to russia i feel like the government always has their eyes on me i wonder if they do hate us or not because it yeah. could be that like i heard that they have a really like bad propaganda so yeah. like they're I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Putin's won like 17 elections and <laughs> got rid of all the term limits. So yeah. I don't know. Like, who knows? Who knows? But still kind of staying on the World Cup topic, topic number two for today. Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been doing the media rounds here in the U.S. Recently was just on the Jimmy Kimmel show. Which is actually, sorry to interject, a really funny interview. Um, I, if you guys have like five minutes of your day, just watch it. It's actually great. Like there's some amazing quotes from I Ibrahim didn't even there. see yeah. it. Zlatan is his, his typical... Yeah arrogant self which i have come to love but in in the interview what i think is interesting and kind of stirs up a little bit of controversy is this latin hints again at potentially coming back to the national team swedish national team and playing in the world cup he's kind of gives a cryptic answer when he's asked if he's going to the world cup and i just kind of want to get your thoughts because i think it's a bit disrespectful to be teasing something out like this to not only the f- fans of the national, the Swedish national team, but also to the players that play. And I'd kind of want to know what you guys think of this. And even, I mean, also going into the fact that if he were to go on the national team, he wouldn't be playing for the LA Galaxy for an amount of time, right? Right. Um, but like we said last episode, the MLS puts a pause of like two weeks, three oh, weeks on do. the MLS, but that's it. But he will miss a couple yeah. games, most likely. Um yeah, definitely, definitely not the right thing to tease about. Yeah. Well, and he also didn't leave it in any uncertain terms. Like Jimmy Kimmel asks him, like, "Oh, so like, will you be on the field or will you be like wearing like sneakers?" And he goes, "If I'm telling you I'm going to be at the World Cup, I'm going to be playing or something along those lines." So, outside of like a hundred percent confirming that he's going, he's like ninety nine percent confirming <laughs> yeah. that he's going. But I think it's a to what your point of of a disrespectful to the players someone came out and said that um they thought it was super disrespectful because it, it, it just basically not degrades but it takes away from all the players who went through the qualification process and played all of those games and all of these things and Ebra wasn't part of that he wasn't in the qualifying campaign very much he wasn't they had kind of started to move him outside of like the main group of swedish players and so they, they were saying, like, wow, you're being very arrogant and coming out and saying that you're going to go and uh, all this stuff when you haven't really played. I will say, on his part, it's genius because he's leveraging the media to put pressure on the Swedish manager to yeah. pick yeah. him. And it's, like, the most Ebra thing to do of, like, just straight-up full-on arrogance right. until, until it works out in his favor. But he has a point in, in what he says. A World Cup without Ebra is not a World Cup. Yeah. And, I mean, if we're being honest still the best player out of that country so it would be somewhat foolish not to call him up um, i mean but i do think it, it it has negative effects on his image if the man plays just one 20 minute sub appearance he has a chance of scoring like three goals for speed yeah. so it's like okay sure you don't want him to start every game because he's 37 36 whatever it is but if you have him on the bench as a sub or you have him i don't know start one game against whatever team he's gonna produce for you and it was actually kind of sad when Sweden missed out on 2014 because Ibra was like basic peak, peak Ibra at, yeah. in 2014. And he and it was just like he was that's what the first time he had said that a World Cup without Ibra is not worth watching. <laughs> like that was the first time he said that quote, which was great. Um, but 
you know, I would love to see him in the World Cup. The guy's antics are amazing. He's going to score an amazing yeah. goal, most likely, and it's like... As much as I hate him for going to Manchester United, <laughs> the first jersey I had ever really bought after, like, my normal soccer jerseys ever was a PSG fake Ibrahimovic Very jersey. Very nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. I've, I've, I would love to see him play, but I would hate to see him play just yeah. because looking at it from, like, a player perspective, it's like, screw you, dude. You're just, yeah. like, the epitome of, like, the spoiled kid who doesn't have to go to practice yeah. or any of this, but he gets to play in the game yeah. and every, gets all <laughs> the goals. Superstar, like Superstar. Superstar. Yeah. But well, I, so here's Sweden's group. It's Sweden, South Korea, Germany, and Mexico. That's a pretty tough group. Yeah, like all three of those other teams are relatively good. Sweden, South Korea, Germany, and Mexico. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough. Group. That's a tough group. So I don't know. I'd say instead of taking some young young kid, I would take Ibra as your backup or your bench player, just because yeah. you know maybe just, just solidify pushing yeah, through maybe you're hope, down who knows yeah. maybe you're down like two True. to one against mexico and you need someone with experience to come on and you throw ebra on that'd be real cool yeah we shall see yeah we'll see how this kind of pans out 56 days 50 and not much less by the time you're wrestling this even less it's gonna yeah be 42 so we'll see okay final topic before we get into the big topic for today puma known for kind of releasing some Interesting stuff. Have released a suede pack. So the new set of cleats that they're releasing are having this kind of suede canvas. I personally hate suede in almost everything. I do not. It's just, it takes up, it, it's a lot of work to keep it clean and pretty. So I, I don't like the cleats and I don't like the idea either. It's, that, oh, sorry, you can go. It's not that outlandish when you consider that essentially these cleats that they're releasing is the same version of their like sneakers i forget what they're called they're um yeah. the very classic like puma sneakers casual, like they're like they're like staple almost yeah cool. yes. like they're staple puma uh sneakers but with just like studs at the bottom and so it doesn't seem like that far of a leap for them to do this it's actually kind of cool now the only issue is suede does not play well with mud, dirt, grass, or anything like that. Things so are gonna get heavy. So basically, you wear it once, your <laughs> cleats are donezo. Like, you're, they're going to get dirty. They're going to get this. I just, it doesn't seem like the best material to make your cleats out of. And I would be interested to see, like, what the touch feels like on them, like, when you're actually playing. But this seems like something that's a lot more style than substance. But. Yeah, I mean, it is the Puma Suede Classic on their yeah. website, so, like, that is the shoe. Yeah. And it is literally the same thing in the soccer, the cleat itself. But love suede on my shoes. Like you guys said, it is a dickhole to clean. Yeah. It is so hard to clean. It is the worst thing. And, like, yeah, after one wear, like, your suede is just put, like, to shit. Yeah. So there's no point in... And even having them. Yeah, this thing isn't going to be something people buy for. Um, it's going to be like put use. in your closet. It's going to be put to closet, which is a whole other discussion of just like why make them. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea, but are people really going to be spending the big bucks on them? I don't know. I but just don't want to gloss over the fact that Brendan used the term "it's a dick hole to clean," and that was way too funny. Relatively tough. flawless, I'd say. <laughs> so. Yeah, but but they only they are only dropping thirteen. 1,350 pairs globally. So it is one of those more collector okay. items kind of things. I just don't see anything that's like that would jump out of me to want to collect these. Yeah. Aside from the fact that they're essentially like maybe if I own seven head, pairs of yeah, the Puma you're classics. Be a real Puma head. 
to to want to buy these. I mean, if we were back in our youth days, these would be tight. I would buy these in a second because we were red and white. <laughs> um, but okay, I think let's move on to the main topic today, and it's something that I find super interesting. One of the most interesting kind of subcultures of soccer, in my eyes, it's something that it's it's it sparks a lot of debate, controversy, and that is hooliganism. So hooligan, hooliganism for people that have maybe have never heard that term or uh, new to the sport is this kind of super loyal fan, we'll say, who is known for violence, destruction, causing mayhem, looting cities. Just kidding. They don't loot cities. <laughs> but they used to at one point. Um, and has been almost a part of the sport since... Um, it's early ages. Um, and it's kind of come up in the 14th century. Even um, the King of England had to ban soccer because of um, villages being too rowdy. And don't forget, 14th century, this was like when it wasn't organized. I'm pretty sure they were just playing with like a pig's bladder. Right. Like it was this wild, yeah. wild, it, wild west of, of soccer back in the 14th century. It was causing kind of just really not ideal situations between the, the, the king's villages, as funny as that sounds. <laughs> but ever since kind of the, the beginning of soccer, hooliganism has been an issue in the sport. So today we're kind of going to dive into hooliganism. It's it, modern day resurgence and kind of why hooliganism exists, what we think of it, if, if there are any pros to discuss some of the pros and get into the cons of, of this football subculture so modern day hooliganism kind of started in the 1960s um, in the uk and during this era we saw an explosion kind of of this hooliganism hooligan culture um fan fan groups meeting up with people uh, of opposite teams getting into these kind of brawls that were very disruptive destructive people getting really hurt and it really caused a lot of problems for people because obviously that that's not something you necessarily want to be um, confronted with if you're a family going to a match. And just to kind of clarify, when we talk about hooligans, we're not talking about like ultra passionate fans. We're talking about people who go to games to cause fights. There's, you know, a big difference between the people who are ultra passionate and the people who are going to a game looking for a fight and that's pretty much it. Sure, they are fans and they do blend, but there's a big discrepancy. There's a big difference between the ultra-passionate fans, and the hooligans who are going just looking for a fight. And on top of that, they originally were associated with skinheads. That's what the original hooligans were. And then as they started to be easily identified because the skinheads, I mean, you can't really miss a skinhead in certain situations, they were then um, brought on to start wearing more sought after clothes that us kids nowadays yeah. like the streetwear heads and yeah. they're known as casuals yeah and we've we had an episode on the casuals that you can even go back and listen to it's a little get a little more in depth into that whole subculture but th- there are a lot of kind of faces that that hooligans took so you might be thinking of some guy that's tattooed up and that not necessarily the case these people are normal people that would go um spend their weekends beating people up but Another interesting kind of segue is what hooliganism means for our current day fans. Um, we see that 
this was an issue in in the UK, and it, they took a lot of kind of steps to fix that. Got rid of standing sections in stadiums. It's why a lot of UK stadiums now have seating areas. They took measures to kind of prevent this, but especially now with the World Cup being in Russia, this is still an issue that's very prominent because as we saw in 2016, there was a big issue kind of, uh, what was the title? The Battle of Marseille. If you Google the Battle of Marseille or English versus Russians Marseille, you will see the most grotesque and repulsive scenes that happened at Euro 2016 in France. And essentially what happened was there was a big contingent of English fans and a big contingent of Russian fans in France for the Euros. And the English fans were in this one section of Marseille and the Russians straight up ambushed them. Like, and I later found out that this was all planned by the Russian hooligans. It wasn't spontaneous. They didn't just go on a rampage. They had been planning to attack these English fans and they just rolled up on this cafe in Marseille and just started beating the yeah. absolute shit out of everybody. Yeah, I think 35 people were injured or sent to the hospital in, there, in that altercation. There were some disgusting scenes. There were people throwing tables at people, throwing chairs. There's this one instance I remember vividly that this image will never leave my head of this one guy beaten down and these three Russian hooligans just kicking him in the head. Yeah. Like it was the most repulsive scene. And so to Alan's point, a lot of people in the media talk about how how hooligan they talk about hooliganism as if it's this problem of a past world because it was such a prominent issue in England for so long that they started to really try to stamp this out of the game and it got to a point where it was so bad that English teams were banned from all European competition for five years yeah because it was that bad that every time anything that had to do with an English club they were just absolute chaos at every match so they completely got banned for five years from any English from any continental championship and so a lot of times people talk about hooliganism as if it's a thing of the past, but as we've seen in 2016 and as we've seen in sporadic little instances here and there, hooliganism is not gone. Not only is it not gone from the global game, it's not gone from the English game. Right. And it's risen kind of this red flag because after this incident that we saw was premeditated, I mean, the, the group that started this attack was on a vice special and they were kind of discussing how they planned it, why they planned it in in the area that they did because they were able to trap the English fans there. They had um, all of these kind of routes blocked off. You see that this is a really, really premeditated attack. It's a like Russian, warfare almost. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A Russian official came out and um, backed the Russian uh, hooligans up and said, oh, they're not being hooligans. They were just being very passionate fans. They had Russia on their sleeve. So when you hear something like that coming from a Russian political official, it raises really big red flags for anyone going into the going into Russia for the World Cup. Especially all these Americans relevant. that we've seen are buying tickets for right. the World and, Cup. Right, and so. kind of ties back to what B is talking about. It's There is this charged political climate already. What's there to say now if, if even the Russian government isn't taking action against these, these hooligans? what is going to stop these occurrences from happening to innocent bystanders in, in, in the Russian makes me, It makes me kind of like giggle when the, when the official is out saying like, oh, no, like they were just super passionate fans. It's like, oh, like good strategy, comrade, like block off all locations. Like yeah. you did good job. Like yeah. here, like for the World Cup, like we'll help you yeah. out this time. Right. Like, we'll so, help you. So it's definitely scary. I mean, it. It doesn't make me feel comfortable. I'm not even going to the World Cup, True. obviously. It, so it makes me really nervous to see they're in their home. They're in their home territory. They're on home base. They know. They know the lay of the land. Um, 
so I, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. What I find really interesting about hooliganism is how organized it is. Uh, because a lot of times, it's hard. I want to try and put a perspective of us as Americans viewing this as Americans, right? We don't... A lot of times when you see, like, riots or things like that in America, they're not really planned. They're just kind of like a bunch of angry people doing something. But hooliganism is an organized, med- premeditated thing that happens. Like, there's a really cool BBC documentary that you can actually find on YouTube, and we'll put the link in the in the co- in the show notes. It's like an hour long, but you can just kind of pick pick and choose the pieces you want to watch. But it's they basically follow these hooligans around, and it just shows how organized these people are. And then you have essentially what happens in Eng- in England. They each hooligan cl- like organization is called a firm, and basically they followed this guy from a firm. And it showed how he was in conversation with other leaders of other firms to try and organize fights. And it's like, basically, if we were a firm here and then there was another firm from, I don't know, uh, Springfield and Alan was our leader. And it'd be like Alan calling up Joe from Springfield. Like, hey, man, uh, let's beat the shit out of each other at this location right before or after the game. And it'll be amazing. And oh, of course, bro, we'll hang out. We'll do it. And it's just like, it's so interesting that to like, it's, it's so organized. It's so right. such a, such a, like, it's just so funny. Like, why would you call someone and be like, Hey, let's go beat the shit out of each other. It's like, it's like opposing generals in like old school warfare. It's like, Hey, right. these are our terms for battle. Like you're, you're good to battle tomorrow. Right. Yeah. All right. We're gonna- and what I think is super interesting and kind of bringing it back to the world of, of soccer is they are claiming to be super fans fighting for their ba- fighting for the badge that they represent, right? So it, for them, they are not only a fan, they are the fan. They are the super fan willing to risk their lives, willing to risk getting hit in the face with a glass bottle, blood, <laughs> whatever it may be. Dude, in some cases on the Vice Sports documentary I've seen, these guys are like, yeah, I'll fucking die for my club. Like, yeah. I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. I will die. I'm yeah. like, damn, that is... <laughs> And all like what that's it. I so, could never even. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an intense passion, but it, it raises an interesting question of if you actually think they are the ultimate fan for the club. So right? here's where the line starts to get a little blurry and really interesting to me in the documentary. There's a piece on uh, this guy who is a hooligan for a firm of a club called Bury in, in England, and it's a smaller club. It's not very big. And basically, someone asked him, like, oh, like, what do you think Barry's going to do this year? And he's like, oh, on the field, fucking nothing. Off the field, fucking amazing. In other words, for them, they don't view – what we have to try and understand is how they view football or soccer. It's They don't view it the way that Americans view a sport, which we've kind of talked about before, how Americans view the sport as a spectacle to go watch. Everyone else in the world views soccer as an event to live through. Right. And so once you understand that distinction, you understand that for them, the soccer doesn't just happen on the field. Sure, that's a major component, but it's the fact that you're going to the stadium to live through the experience of making like of chanting, of singing, of getting drunk, of doing all this stuff. But for them, for hooligans, there's an added aspect of going to the games to fight in the name of your club to basically say, not only are we the best like team but we're the best fans we're the best people it became a source of pride for people where they just wanted to stake their dominance and talk about how amazing they are and that doesn't just 
come from banter with your buddies about who's the best team. For them, it means I'm going to go beat the shit out of uh, the Arsenal fans coming to this game. Right. Or, And it's just, for them, it's not... It's just a part of soccer. It's not something that like they view as degenerate. They just view it as this is what, you know, the players are on yeah. the field playing. We are going to be playing, quote unquote, yeah. off of the field by showing our dominance. Right. And I think it, con- to contrast that with kind of when we see riots here in the U.S., we see that riots here in the U.S. usually are reactionary and happen with respect to a result. Right. Yeah. So in Philadelphia, um, when the Eagles just won their the Super Bowl, we saw what mayhem happened in Philadelphia, but that was all one fan base. I mean, stupidly kind of destroying their own turf. they really, um, I mean, and we see this always, I mean, in Boston, we were, were or when the Red Sox won the world series, the first one they had won after the long while, my older brother went to school at UMass and that's when like crazy riots yeah. happened at UMass. Yeah, and he like was like watching it. Yeah, the flipping yeah. cars, dude. Well, but you were in school at UMass when the last time the Sox won the world series. Right. Yeah. So, Again, uh, I've definitely experienced this firsthand of being at UMass and seeing people react. Well, so to tell something. people what it was um, like, right? Uh, so they actually the school actually set up an outdoor event for um, <laughs> to watch the Red Sox game, hoping that they would corral because they had already seen riots that year or that year year before of um, when Obama was elected that that <laughs> incited a riot. Um, other sports events, so I mean, they don't need a reason to riot there at UMass, but. Basically, the UMass is trying to corral the um, Chaos. the energy and kind of keep them all intact. Ended up that that didn't really happen. The people started kind of throwing trash. It started with throwing trash, and then it started throwing trash bins. And then from there, cops showed up, started doing smoke, people just going crazy. So, again, this culture, though, is, is was people reacting to the result of the Red Sox game. The Red Sox... Could have won, could have lost. The reaction would have been the same, I think, in, in people destroying stuff one way or another. It's And it wasn't really um, this mentality of being one with the Red Sox or being one with the team and, and looking and searching for someone else to beat up. It was kind of more reactionary celebration, almost these mm-hmm. riots. Even if it doesn't make logical sense that it was yeah. celebra- oh, less celebratory, that's kind of the idea. Especially with Philly, you see that they literally burnt their city down they were putting shit on fire they were climbing lampposts they were flipping cars they were just if you have a moment just go and google what the city of philadelphia had what happened to city of philadelphia after they won the super bowl and it's the biggest contrast between what americans what americans view as like unruly behavior at a sports event or because of a sports result versus what happens in europe with basically any game the, the the result doesn't matter for hooligans right yeah. and, and I, like you said i guess the result doesn't really matter to american rioters either but it's vastly different people sure they are causing trouble they're breaking things in america but it's not necessarily targeted right it's just kind of like let's go absolutely batshit insane and we'll see where the night takes us does that mean we're gonna flip a car does that mean we're gonna light a house on fire sure it happens but hooligans are like we're going to go to fuck shit up and it's organized, premeditated. Everything is just very targeted. And to play in, in part with what you mentioned before of the idea of this, uh, of world soccer kind of seeing it as they are a part of the club. 
it, you very much see that with the riot and when you contrast it with the riots here here you even see fans fight each other right you're seeing a Philadelphia riot <laughs> people, fan, fans of the same team fighting each other when they're both celebrating the same same thing I mean I'm sure that happens abroad as well but when you see these these hooligans they're not doing that they are there with their band of brothers we, we could say they're there with that goal to take out the opposition there is no infighting there is none of that they they are there to destroy the opposition do what they can to mentally physically to the opposing um, hooligans and you see that kind of stark contrast in in what the belief systems are for these kind of um, unruly behaviors and so to try and put in perspective of how bad the, the hooliganism issue ha got to in, in Europe, I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but one of the biggest hooligan-related incidents that, have hap that has happened in Europe that caused quite a lot of stir was what they call the Heysel Stadium disaster, which happened in uh, 1985. When escaping fans were, get were pressed against a collapsing wall in the Heysel Stadium in Brussels before the start of the 1985 European Cup final between Juventus and Liverpool. 39 people, mostly Italians and Juventus fans, were killed and 600 were injured in the confrontation. Basically, what happened was uh, hooligans got really unruly, started trying to fight everybody at the, at the stadium to try and assert their dominance prior to the final. And then they chased these uh, fans basically into a wall, killed 39 of them, and 600 people got injured. Like that right there, those are numbers that are absurd. Like this should especially when we talk about soccer if you've listened to the podcast before you heard that we talk about soccer as a celebration and we talk about how it's it's such an amazing thing for that to happen in a in a situation that you're you're there to celebrate your team you know the what i mean you're game. there it's yeah. called the beautiful game for a reason you're there to put you know to 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 give your voice to liverpool to have them win you're there as an italian uh, italian juventus fan to support juventus to get them to win but then some fans take it to the extreme and they want to they wanted to assert their dominance in the stadium but unfortunately 39 people died 600 right. people were injured that's an undeniable black mark on the history of the sport and that was what ended up leading to the ban from all uefa or in other words all european championships for english clubs eventually it was reduced um for a little bit but for the longest time, English clubs weren't allowed in, in, in Europe, which is a like we talk about we talked about on last week's episode how important uh, continental championships are. European club uh, English clubs weren't allowed anywhere near them, and so then England started imposing tougher laws. They uh, banned alcohol. They started to bar misbehaving fans. Um, and in the BBC documentary, I've spoken about a, a lot uh, this episode. One of the guys that they followed, he was basically the leader of the firm for Manchester City. He has a match ban. In other words, he's not allowed in any single stadium in England. And on top of it, on game day, he's not allowed within a majority of the city of Manchester's like downtown area. So in other words, if the police catch him anywhere near the stadium or even in the city center on match day, he'll go to prison for like three years. Yeah. And yeah, so a lot of those things... Uh, it got to a point where hooliganism was so bad in England that basically a lot of politicians were calling it like the English disease. Like it was just so bad that it was so prevalent across all cultural aspects of England during the 60s, 70s and 80s that it was just like unbearable. And it got to a point clearly where they had to they had to make some countermeasures and start to try and stamp it out of the game. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a blemish. And we've seen even it, this kind of... Um, 
it was made a little bit more mainstream as well with movies like Green Street Hooligans and um, great movie by the it, way. <laughs> great still movie. Still watched it, boys. Let's you relax. Yeah. You still haven't yeah. seen it, dude? Yeah, it's been dude, like, we're gonna have to do like a live viewing it's and stream it live on like, like YouTube. It's been like three months since this this topic's <laughs> resurfaced. Wow, dude! And I, I still haven't watched wow. it. I know. I just keep forgetting. But yeah, so it was, I mean, we definitely saw that it, hooliganism became kind of this mainstream thing, and really, I think steamrolled the process of it becoming more and getting more and more and youth involvement. What I, what I find super interesting as well is that, I mean, we've been talking a lot about England and the UK and how these fans seem to be doing it just because they want to, they, they feel in a part of the club. But what I find interesting is around the world, hooliganism is rooted in different things. So we've seen hooligans in France and, and a lot of their hooliganism is rooted in racism. They're, they're targeting kind of these um, people that look like they're Islamic or they, they may be representing a, a certain type of person in countries like Bosnia, Herzegovina, there's political ties where one, f- one group of, of hooligans is supporting um, Serbian nations and another group is supporting um, Bosnian, Bosnian descendants so the, the the idea of hooliganism isn't just this idea of um, supporting a club. It, it, it's even more so where it can be rooted in really political issues and people standing up for what they believe in outside of the pitch, which I, then I think takes away from that idea of you're not a super fan. You're kind of using football as a political yeah. kind backdrop, of backdrop and using it as an excuse to commit these kind of atrocious crimes against people. I think that your point right there of, of saying that, you know, they're using football as the backdrop for all of these political movements or essentially it's a militia group, right? Right. And they're just using football as a backdrop. I think that's probably the most apt description of what it is. Right. It's it's a group of people using football slash soccer as an excuse to just either assert their dominance create a political message do any of these little things but they're using football as a backdrop which when in comparison to what we should make clear that hooliganism isn't exclusive to england like you said it happens in france it happens all across the world it happens in russia and to give you guys a perspective i want to go into maybe hooliganism in brazil which is for for alan and i we, we see this we've seen this firsthand um and the funny thing about you know, hooliganism in Brazil is that it's even the line is even blurred more so than in England, where in England you have these dedicated firms that are they're outside of traditional supporter groups. Everyone knows that the firm is the hooligan firm. Mm -hmm. But in Brazil, a lot of the hooliganism that happens in Brazil happens directly from what they call like the organized supporters. In other words, supporters groups. So in Brazil, there's very little distinction between what is the hooligan part of, of the supporters and what is just the regular ultra-passionate supporters. And it's just, it's disgusting when you watch like Brazilian sports channels and they show the kind of shit that happens in Brazilian stadiums day in and day out. Right. Um, these organized fans, they straight up, I, I keep saying this every time, but like Google, like, brazilian hooligans or brazilian fight in a stadium and it's just it's repulsive like you think that people should be there to watch a game but these organized supporters groups get together and a lot of them they are the main supporters for that club they're the ones selling tickets they're the ones or the same way that for example the timbers army brings a lot of people to the portland timbers games these 
supporters groups in Brazil are the ones bringing the people to the games. And it just happens that the same people who are selling the tickets, selling the shirts, making the TIFOs, doing all this stuff, they're the same ones going out and causing problems. They're the same ones who are out before a game looking for a fight. And um, I have a funny story. When I was in Brazil as a kid, my uncle supports the opposing team in our in our city but like he he brought me to a bar to i was probably 14 not that like you know no one in brazil cares we're at a bar and we're watching a game on tv were you being served i'm not gonna answer we were just hanging I, out do yeah side note i've bought cigarettes in brazil when i was like eight for my mom's friend she was like yeah can you go buy me cigarettes and i'm coming from america i was like <laughs> no i can't she was like yes you can yes you can gives you me you gives me the cash and it, i go and buy a, I bought three single cigarettes for her, so oh, that was another. Oh, thing, they yeah. sell the single. They just sell the single. <laughs> yeah. So my uncle and I go to this bar. We're hanging out. He is sitting with his back to the TV, and he's wearing plain clothes. And it's actually like it was a class. It was a class school, which was like a, you know, like a derby match between my club and his club. But he was basically like, if anybody at this bar knows that I'm a Atlético supporter, they're gonna kick my ass. And so we like I, I wasn't allowed to say anything about like who he supported. We just had to sit and enjoy the game. And he wasn't even watching. He was just facing me. And even then people were kind of like, why isn't he like looking at TV? But it was just like a funny little thing of. of, yeah. of no, I have I have a similar story. So I'm a Cruzeiro fan. My dad is an Atlético fan. Don't ask me how those things happen. My dad's a black sheep of the family. Like everyone else supports Cruzeiro. But when I was younger, we were going to go to Atlético Cruzeiro game, which is a huge derby. Um, and we were wearing, m- me and my uncle were wearing Cruzeiro shirts. And unbeknowing to us, we were walking down the street. We get to the corner of the street and we kind of see that there's a shit ton of Atlético fans there. And we're... I don't know, just foolish. We're about to walk down the street, and right before we get into the street, this, like, hot dog vendor came up to us and was like, A, take those jerseys off right now. B, walk as far away from the street as you possibly can and don't have anyone, like, know that you are Crusader fans. And I was I, w- I was relatively young at that point, so I was shook. How like, old? I, I can't – I don't remember what year it was, but I was – I mean, the last time I went to Brazil, I'd say I was 12, so I was young. Fuck, so dude, that I was, scared the shit I was out of me. I was super, super young, and – um, s- those things are serious because the guy you could see in this, the guy's he eyes like, that he was uh, super serious. Things. I mean, it didn't matter that I was 12 years old. It, they would have done things that I probably I can't even imagine. But so those things are very real. What Louis is talking about. Of, what did you do though? Did you so we so we at, we took off the, the shirts, yep. stuffed them in my shorts, and we just turned around, walked as fast as we could like five blocks away and then kind of when we were in this neutral zone area um started walking to the stadium so that we kind of um didn't let people see it's it's crazy it's like this tribalism that exists that but it's almost like kind of exciting hearing about it. it's like damn like that'd be that'd be so it's definitely thrilling but when you're there in the moment it's it's not something and it's wrong like a 12 year old kid shouldn't be terrified of walking to a game exactly and i actually think that's a good point to talk about what is the, where's the sep, where does the separation need to be between a being a hooligan being an ultra passionate fan cuz like you said in a way it, it's that awesome tribalism where you are brothers you are in this together with all of the other fans of your I club I fuck of a 12 year old I <laughs> swear to god like I don't care who yeah. he is and it, it's funny that in Brazil a lot of people at least that I know they don't like going to games at the stadiums because of issues like this okay because in stadiums across Brazil 
it, it happens in every single stadium across Brazil because of this tribalism. A lot of people don't go to the games. They'll just watch them on TV because they're like, that's too much of a headache to yeah. deal with oh, okay. because they don't want to go. And, and yeah. a lot of times you have a lot of, despite the fact that Brazilian people are so passionate about their, their soccer, a lot of times Brazilian stadiums will just be empty. Because right. they can't sell enough tickets, they the you know everything's too expensive there, and on top of it, they have to deal with this hooligan issue of am I gonna have to get my, if, is my twelve year old kid gonna get his ass beat if we walk down the wrong street? Right. And so a lot of people avoid going to the game and would just rather watch it on TV, and so, but that's where you have to think about it, where it's like, are there pros to? You know, the ideas behind hooliganism, I'm not condoning the violence. I'm not condoning any of the stupid shit that they do. But at the same time, you know, without them to an extent, a lot of these clubs wouldn't be as well supported. Because, yes, they do use football as the backdrop for causing violence, causing disruption, beating up 12-year-olds. But they also buy tickets to the game. They also buy concessions at the game they also sing at the games yes they are nuts they try and fight people but they're also the same guys in the away end singing you know what i mean so it's like it's hard and it's it's been such a deep-rooted problem set within tribalism set within all of these different ideals but basically what i'm trying to say is that can you really remove hooliganism from fan culture so i think i think yes um and I th- and I say that because I think the actual I think the U.S. F- fans do an amazing job at doing that because if you're looking at it really what a hooligan is is an ultra but he's the he is the most kind of far out ultra that exists right he's really really willing to die for the for for his club but we see that ultras are what keep kind of clubs alive and here in the U.S. we've seen that Timbers. Seattle, Atlanta, these ultra groups can be very pacifist. I, I think I, I credited Seattle Sounders in the episode we did about them, about having this kind of all-inclusive feeling. And we see this with Atlanta United. We see this with kind of the, the teams now that are being supported, uh, LA teams now. You're seeing the, the, the rainbow flags. You're seeing these things that accept everyone kind of. And they're really putting that their their fan base is out there going to all the match day games, keeping their clubs alive. So I think, is it possible? Yes. I think the U S is a great example of being able to have that ultra fan, the almost ultra, ultra, ultra fan without having to be a hooligan, without having to be that violent, because we don't really see these hooligan acts happening here in the U S you'll see an incident now every now and then, but it's not as prevalent as, as overseas. Um, where these things are more common. And it's also not organized, right? If right. something happens, it's usually just one dumbass fighting right. another dumbass. Right. And so it, it's it's very – it's hard because a lot of people argue that European soccer today is very watered down, the atmosphere in a lot of big stadiums. And a lot of people attribute that to, you know, all of these harsh punishments for hooligans and all these things. You know, I'm not – I agree that I think the violence is wrong. I think it can happen. But there are people who argue it and they have – you know, their arguments are based in fact. A lot of times, European club, like the, the, the matches played in Europe, they're a little watered down. The right. atmosphere isn't as lively as it used to be. Right. But, you know, the trade-off, of course, is that people aren't dying right. as much. And people, these incidents are, are not happening as happening as much. Yeah. I mean, we see that, um, I think one a recent, it, it, to, to highlight your point, Louis, is this 
uh, when Arsenal played at, what was it, uh, Red Star Belgrade at home, um, the Red Star fans showed up in masses, right? They were these rowdy guys. They were ready to break shit. They were stampeding down um, the streets of London. And that was something that the English culture is no longer accustomed to really because they had kind of stamped down on that more rowdy, unruly type of behavior. But when you're looking at it from the outside, we're like, damn, these fans are crazy, man. Like, that's the type of game I want to be going to. But when you think about what that actually means and what that actually opens the doors up to, you kind of think, like, do I actually want this to be the case? So I do think it makes it extremely difficult to to you're kind of wanting the best of both both worlds, right? You really want your home fans to be this rowdy bunch of people to be cause to, to cause this tense really hostile environment but you want that coming from people that are actually aren't going to be doing that, that aren't accustomed to doing that so i think that i mean it is really difficult to kind of separate those two things because you know what though the threat of violence makes it it probably makes you feel alive right where you're right. like because you know what i mean you have you you have that that rivalry with someone and another point that's really important is that a lot of times these big rivalries that uh clubs experience a lot of them are rooted in hooliganism where, you know, you've had the hooligans of, you know, Liverpool beat the shit out of the hooligans from Manchester United. And that helps create the rivalry. And we've talked about how important rivalry is to yeah. clubs and why it, it causes such great fan culture. But it's also like, how do you, you know. Walking that fine line. It's yeah. a fine line to walk between what is a amazing rivalry based in. Uh, you know going against someone and what is a rivalry because some guy killed your grandfather's brother 30 years ago you know what i mean because of a fight but that adds the animosity where it's hard because like you said you want the best of both worlds you want to have this rivalry without really the threat of violence despite the fact that the threat of violence is what makes it feel so real and makes the antagonistic behavior so so important for instance i have never been to portland timbers seattle sounders any of these big team kind of games but even going to the revolution and seeing that the this fan section and like the ultras it doesn't seem authentic enough to me yeah. from like the chance and everything to this and i think without those hooligan ultras you can't really have the perfect atmosphere and I am definitely against violence, but I think without that violence, without that deep-rooted kind of just pure just anger yeah. at other people, yeah. like your club can't get to that yeah. crazy level. And I'd even say from a fan experience in a match day, and I won't even say that, like even when you go to kind of an international friendly here, I've been in gone to Brazil friendlies here at Gillette where I've seen a fight outside the stadium between Brazilian and a Mexican, and then it, that just gets you so like kind of on edge for the match where – the match experience is so much more different right you're you're on the tips of your toes you're ready for anything you're kind of head on a swivel and so it again it's that negative like i don't <laughs> want this site like i don't i don't propagate that that but the feel the experience that you have when you're experiencing this this tension is so much more exhilarating to watch a match that way <laughs> than it is if you were so not. and i don't know if that's just because we kind of get high off of this this thing and some people may not but I think it's definitely an experience that's unmatched when you're thinking about experiencing a game. Like so, that. on the con, like, I've been to several. Every time Brazil comes to Gillette, I'm there every single time. The one of the times that really sticks out to me is uh, Brazil played Portugal at Gillette, and it. I thought it was gonna be like 
90% Brazilians at the stadium. But then I forgot that in New England, we have a huge Portuguese uh, descendants and ancestry in New England. And a lot Shout of people... Out East Bridgewater and Ludlow. Ludlow. <laughs> uh, what's the other one? Like Fall River has yeah. a huge uh, Portuguese population. The stadium was 50-50. I, I, when we got to the tailgate, it was half red, half yellow. Ooh. And then it was... And if you don't know any... like. If you don't know much about history, uh, the Portuguese colonized Brazil. And so to, to this day, there's still a big rivalry between uh, not a huge rivalry the but same way that like enough. Brazil and Argentina do. But there's still a big rivalry between Brazilians and Portuguese as a culture, as a people. So it was so funny because there I didn't see much violence. But like we helped the, our Portuguese guys who were tailgating next to us light their fire and they helped us. They gave us some food. And it was kind of cool where, you know, you had that that antagonistic rivalry, but also we just saw it as like, hey, we're all soccer fans. Yeah. No one's trying to be stupid. Yeah. But I think that the rivalry still existed without the violence just because of things in the past. Fair point. And so the same way that that anytime Brazil plays Argentina, depending on where it is, you're still going to have that hyped feeling. Right. And it's hard, man. It's hard to, to differentiate, like, where does the line get crossed, Right. And because you want that amazing fan experience, you want that amazing culture, but you no one should no die. One die. No yeah. one should right. die for for True. F- in a fight that means nothing in right. the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's one thing that I find really interesting is. is you know, we talk about how pacifistic the 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 Seattle Sounders and and the Timbers culture is specifically but i think one of the reasons why a lot of times in america they they don't develop this hooliganism culture is that clubs are so far apart from each other that traveling like we already mentioned a little while back it's difficult whereas in england you can all hop on 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 the the metro and get to the next city hop within an hour tube <laughs> to hop on the tube in london and go to another game and all this stuff and so match day experiences in europe are very different because the cities are more tightly knit and they are not super far away so for you to get from brussels to london really realistically it's not that far right and even even in the major cities like London has how, how many clubs more than you can count on one hand right so the ability for, for teams to be able to meet up is easier and not even have to travel the whole country just within the city that's mm-hmm. that's really easy and we've we don't really see that here in the US because mostly most of the times a city only has one team it's hard to develop a, a kind of fierce rivalry with someone you're not really seeing day in and day out. Or in um, a lot of these smaller knit countries, you have these three, four teams that, that per city. You get that animosity in, in the office place, in the in their supermarket, wherever you may be. You see that more uh, existing more. That's true. Right. So to contrast, uh, what you have in, in the U.S. in terms of rivalries, they can get heated and they can get very... There's a lot of animosity in them, especially between like the Red Sox and the Yankees. Um, they've always had a big rivalry. There's always brawls that erupt. There's that amazing picture of, of I think, Veritech with his glove in, uh, what was the Yankees player's name? I don't remember. And then like two weeks ago, Joe Kelly basically started a brawl against the Yankees. And everybody in Boston loved it. They played that video at the Bruins game. And the entirety of the garden stood up and like cheered for people fighting on TV. <laughs> Despite the fact that it's like a baseball brawl and yeah. no one was really hurt, but like that does contribute to the 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 rivalry. And so the question is, why doesn't or why hasn't hooliganism appeared in American sports? Not just in American soccer, but 
in American sports in general. I, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I think the. I think the the point that you brought up earlier of it just not being as easy for fans to get uh, from one place to another, that's a really big point because a the U.S. doesn't really have a big traveling fan support. It's something that we've mentioned in prior. Pri- and actually, topics. most sports, right? To be honest. Uh, right. U.S. fans are really home based, and then you don't really travel to yeah. go watch your team. Anyways, you don't have the mass groups going out to to travel to other stadiums. So that. That's definitely a big because again you're not being exposed to that op- opposing fan group other than the TV, which is like you're not going to really build a heated um, rivalry off of something you're watching on TV. Those are the people that the people that build that rivalry are the ones that are going to stadiums. So it'll be interesting to see kind of as we get more teams in in cities. So LA, the two LA teams, that's see true. if anything kind of arises there. Like that's something so you close. can. I mean, it's still a huge state, but I mean, you can still. Yeah, but in in LA, like they're, they're in the same yeah. city, right? So in 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 New York, we can see like how that will progress in the future as these teams start to develop more history for themselves and <clears throat> start to compete for more trophies. We see how they kind of how, how they kind of build. But you're right. I mean, it's hard for a Seattle fan to really, really, really develop this like hooliganistic fan base with the Timbers if they have to travel what is it seven, three hours three hours to get four to hours get to, but it's to not impossible forward. versus right. it's like not, it's just Seattle a lot more going work. to Montreal right for example right it's just a lot more work that I think um, especially now in a in a sport that is still in its in its fledgling uh, years it, it'll be hard to see anything like that coming out of out of the US now I think another big point too is I think uh, Americans in America, our laws are very, they're organized the way they are. And I think that does stamp out organized kind of, because I guess you can consider like an organized hate group to an extent. Yeah. So a lot of those things yeah. are usually stamped out. Yeah, pretty but, quickly. Uh, I do think that there is one section of American sports that has a, not organized hooliganism, but they, are, they do have more charged rivalries is college football. Because they are usually all within the same area of the country. So travel is a little bit easier. You know, when you have Auburn playing Alabama, they're within the same state. A lot of people do make that travel. Those games do get heated. Though I do think those games get more heated because stupid college kids are shit-faced. And they're just fighting each other because that happens at every college everywhere. But that being said, there is more of a charged environment in college football because they are located more they are geographically located closer to one another yeah. and you know mostly in the in the south southeast uh part of the country um i just i think it's interesting that it hasn't necessarily i, I guess we have to we would have to go into more of the cultural reasons why hooliganism yeah. happens in every country i just don't think that uh, we ha- we have our own issues in america with everything else just not you know yeah. um sport organized sports violence i guess we're yeah. too fat to <laughs> to fight each other at this point and my, my dad always liked to like it brings up a point that uh, like the American culture, not even just as a as a fan base, but American people as a whole are a lot kind of more um, how do I say this? They're more appropriate, right? So they they don't kind of step out of the the, the a step out of bounds with doing things that are. In some of these countries like Brazil, people are more willing to kind of take these like illegal risks and be kind of more rowdy. That's in their nature to be more. Um, uh, excited to a sense so that you kind of see more of this happen the u.s the people 
it's not in their culture to really be this kind of rowdy and, and unruly type of, of, of person, right? So I think that there also is just some cultural base in, in where we see these things because in some of the more, um, I guess, I don't want to say civilized, but countries like France, like you don't necessarily think of hooliganism. There are instances of hooliganism, but it's not really that prevalent. Like you see it every now and then. But I think that the U.S. people just... I don't know. They just don't have a need for for it so much. I think a lot of it does come down to, I, I the way I see it, I compare it to kind of like the New England culture. In New England here, we we basically we don't really like speaking to our neighbors. Like I don't want to talk to any of my neighbors. I want to live my life the way I want to. I don't want to have to deal with other things. It's the same, and it's the same way across the board to a lot of people. They don't want to mix with other necessarily like other people they just want to go about their lives they want to do their thing they're not worried about what other people are doing necessarily Um, i know that in other parts of the country it's very different the culture in the u.s you know spans such so many different uh they're so vastly different across the whole country but it, it it does come down to a lot of the cultural and or political situations in these other countries and so it it's I think that's probably the biggest reason why it's never happened in the U.S., especially because in the U.S. we do, like I said, we view it as more of something to watch as a spectacle to escape from, whereas, you know, that is multiplied tenfold in these other countries. Um, You know, people view soccer in England and in Europe as as a legitimate escape. It's like their big escape from their boring work lives. And sure, we have that, but we have so many different sports and so many different things to entertain us in America that it's like... It's almost it's hard to dedicate that yeah, amount of dedicate time. dedicate that much energy is yeah. it just into that one specific It's like, well, and the Red Sox are on, but the Revolution are on, and now the Bruins are in the finals, and now the Celtics, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that one thing that I think, let's try to bring it back more towards the hooligan side and not really Americans, but what do we see as the future of hooliganism? Do you think it'll ever be 100% stamped out of the game? No, I mean, 100%. Nothing will ever be a hundred percent stamped out. I think that it's. I think it's going to continue on the trend of kind of going down. Um, Russia being an outlier, obviously, but I do think that as things, as we're seeing things get more commercialized, whatever the, the money will speak, and they'll see that that isn't good, isn't good for business necessarily. So, eventually, I think it'll be ninety nine point nine nine stamped out. Um, but. You never know. Uh, I think sometimes when you see a rise of kind of like nationalistic ideals that you've seen with Russia, that that's why it is so strong there and why kind of political power still kind of back it. You never know. Maybe there is this kind of resurgence of hooliganism. I, I saw that recently when England went to go play uh, Netherlands in a friendly, the English fan base was causing a ruckus. They weren't necessarily being the violent hooligans, but they were um, spitting at people in the canals, throwing their beers at them in the canals. They were being just super disgusting pretty type of people. So, yeah, I mean, when I say violent, I mean like beating people up, but they were, yeah, they were being gro- really grotesque and um, they were acting like hooligans, right? So, and we're seeing that England has kind of seen this more nationalistic rise with the Brexit and all this stuff happening. So, as kind of see where the political powers take it as nationalism rises in countries you kind of often see this um this rise of of nationalistic groups and sometimes that can, they can f- formulate around soccer clubs so we'll see as 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 we move on but i, I do think that overall um, it's going down i believe history will repeat itself so yeah. that 
with the nationalistic rise, I think that that are only is only going to push and like bottleneck that like nationalistic yeah. pride for your team, right. especially in England. Um, I mean, for the most part, it is kind of trickling away. But 2016, bam, yeah, right, it, it popped up pretty soon, and, and that was that was broadcasted on all around the world. Right. It was front page news in every country, even countries who don't even know what soccer is. It yeah, was front right. page news. Yeah, absolutely. So I think. It it is dying down, but I think it's going to reach that peak where it dips down and then just like sp- like skyrockets. Yeah, right that is very true. It's one of those things where where I also don't think it'll ever be fully stamped out because I don't think you could ever really stamp it out. You know, I just think that it's so ingrained in the game that there will always be someone trying to do it, right? True. And so my question to you guys is: Can you have true fan culture? True fan culture where. It, it, whatever that means to you, can you have true fan culture without hooliganism? No. I'll come right off the bat and say no. Because those fans are something else. And without those fans pushing the limit, uh, they wouldn't have other people look at them like the way they do. And the rivalries would not be then like formed. So... I believe without those crazy ass hooligans, we wouldn't have the ultras we do. Um, I disagree. I think again, I think the the U.S. is a, a an amazing example that you can have amazing soccer culture without having to have the violence behind it. Seattle Sounders, Portland Timbers are a perfect example of that. I think that um, you if you look at those two clubs you wouldn't say that they don't, they don't have soccer culture they have it in abundance they have i mean more than a lot of clubs you would say across european nations south american nations so i do think that hooliganism um i do think that while it does provide some type of animosity and and fan culture it's it's not the only way to achieve that and i it's by i don't think it's uh, the best way either i think that there are other ways of doing it and um so what's so sorry so what is stopping hooliganism from being cultivated out of the portland seattle rivalry yeah i mean it's that it's that same i think it's that same thing that we've mentioned is just the they're not living with each other day in and day out i mean liverpool manchester that's a big rivalry but they're what 30 minutes away from each other so they're close that's not far away they can go to the match games they can go travel when you're not seeing your opposing fan at your stadium shutting you up doing all these things embarrassing you in your home stadium you can't build that necessarily that that animosity towards someone they have the they have the hatred quote-unquote towards each other but they don't see each other day in and day out they don't have that risk of physical confrontation of of seeing your your enemy there every every day or every match day um for a rivalry so i think that the biggest issue is that lack of closeness we don't really see rivalries like that where where fans are um where fans are violent and they're really far separated from each other i don't think i i can't think of anything off the top of my head like that because if you don't have that that fan there to pester you um you're just not going to get in a fight. It's not going to cause that that hooliganistic kind of um, appeal to it. So you don't think it'll ever happen between them? B, what's your what's your thought process? Do you think it'll you think hooliganism or do you think that their fan culture will ever evolve into a more violent fan culture? Um, nah, I don't think so. Just because like the way the U.S. is just set up and just how far away teams are, thinking of 
I mean, imagine if the Red Sox and the Yankees were a half hour apart. I feel like that would right. then would make something happen a little bit more just because I'd be in the supermarket and I'd see more guys. I mean, I, you do see the Yankees people, but then you just, like, look at them and just like, wow, like, Bro, there's you... one Yankees fan in this whole place. Like, who right. gives a shit about that dude? But if you were to see, like, troves of them, I think that so, would. So now the other question is when, when taking into consideration uh, cities that have now two MLS teams, for example, New York, right? So you have New York City. In the Red Bull. Okay, Red Bull are actually from New Jersey. Fair enough. But they are still close enough to each other that they are about 20 minutes out, no matter how you look at it. Or LA, where, you know, sure, LAFC is downtown and, and the Galaxy play in Carson, which is just outside of LA. But they are within the same city. They are close. Do you think that hooliganism can ever pop up there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we've seen it already with New York. I remember seeing a video of, like, some fighting that happened um, between the two fan bases I don't know if it was like that big, but I mean, it was uh, it was news that whenever I it was that I saw it. I think that those types of um, geographic locations set up really well for hooliganism because it is that urban vibe. You have pe- you have opposing fans really close together. L.A. same story, right? Um, it, fans really close together. You're gonna see them day in and day out. Be able to talk trash. Be able to physically see them. Possibly fight them. Absolutely. I do. I do. I think that both of those places are are not ripe for it but they they absolutely could cultivate that hooliganistic um i think it just takes time just seeing as how i mean in the grand scheme of things just the age of like mls first the age of like england premier league (laughs) soccer yeah there's just i mean as you get older and there's just like history like who's to say there isn't like a crazy game five years down the line that like creates this absolute brawl that is then entrenches these two teams that will forever fight each other um I think if you will see hooliganism, it will be with those 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 four teams just because they are so close to each yeah. other. So I kind of want to end this on the note of, of making everyone understand that. I don't think any of us here are <laughs> pro-hooliganism. <laughs> We're just saying that it's... Yes, while while it is an undeniable, you know, stain on the history of sport, it is... You can't separate it from the history of sport. You can't pretend like it didn't happen. You can't pretend like it still isn't happening. Right. We just want to... We just wanted to show how important it's been to the global game and how it's played its part and one thing that i once read someone say about uh international soccer in in relation to um you know different countries playing each other is that basically the reason why a lot of people love international soccer is that it's essentially a version of war without really like the the death toll right and so that's where a lot of the you know you have a lot of people who don't even give a shit about soccer but they'll support their national team because they it's that idea of belonging it's the idea of being a part of something and so i just think it's a very i just want to leave you guys on that because it's a good thing to think about um a lot of people if you think about even in the u.s the u.s has such a big rivalry with mexico based on not only close proximity but also geopolitical issues you know what i mean we are very much a lot of people are very antagonistic towards mexicans because not only you know are we so close to each other but there's also like i said a lot of geopolitical issues and that's the same across the world and even so recently, there was a boxing match between a, a United States dude and a guy from Mexico, and the guy from the United States had his boxing shorts were build a wall, like America First oh, was wow. on. Wow. And he got fucked. Like, yeah. he, he was knocked out. And, like, that alone was, like, yeah. a geopolitical issue that yeah. you won't 
you wouldn't see somewhere else just because of where the United States and Mexico are at. So it will be interesting to see what happens at the World Cup. I think that, you know, a lot of the hooliganism we spoke about was more club level, but like we said, it happens at the national level too, or the international level. And hopefully the World Cup, there aren't scenes like there were in Marseille. Um, I'm a little hesitant to say because I do think it will happen, unfortunately. Um, Hopefully the Russians can keep a lid on it. We've already said that we don't think Russia should have ever even gotten the World Cup, but I think that it'll be an interesting thing to see because I think that with anything in the world, there are two sides to it. Whereas the World Cup is so beautiful and amazing and I get goosebumps even thinking about the stuff that happens, there are just some bad things that happen too. And I think that's kind of prevalent with anything in the world, but... Just kind of wanted to dive into the darker side, I guess. <laughs> so there you have it, guys. Another amazing episode of Culture FC. It was really cool to get to dive into hooliganism and really try to put a more American perspective on hooliganism. So what do you guys think? Do you think hooliganism will be prevalent in the future? Do you think it could ever be truly taken out of the global game? Please let us know in the comments below. And we'll catch you next week for another episode.